Spiritual Coaching Podcast. We're teaching spiritual coaches how to guide Christians into a full and fearless devotion to God. Welcome. The goal of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast is to encourage and equip those whose God-given mission is to provide spiritual direction to the Church of Jesus Christ. We're training warriors to fight for the human heart. Our spiritual coaching is driven by a singular belief that every wound in our heart that's left untouched by God will hinder how deeply we can know Him and how fully we can follow Him. Only healthy hearts are free to develop a relationship with God that outlasts the pressures of life and every unworthy claim for our loyalty and devotion. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Two Rivers Spiritual Coaching Podcast. We're teaching spiritual coaches how to fight for and guide reluctant hearts into a full and fearless devotion to God. Again, thanks for listening. So in this episode, um, I'm going to transition from our first few talks that focus more on what spiritual maturity looks like to focus on what the spiritual coach does. Although the spiritual maturity theme will still be in the background as a secondary subject, however, uh, as I take you deeper into what we mean when we talk about spiritual coaching and doing that by revealing some of the strategy behind what we do in an actual coaching session. And let's begin today uh, with a definition of, of a coach. So I took this from uh, the Urban Dictionary and had to do a couple, uh, uh, a couple edits onto it, onto it so it wouldn't be profound, profane. But um, uh, a coach is someone who wants the best for their team, who supports them and encourages development, who can sometimes be a bit of a pain but is still loved by the team. That's a coach. Um, it's the general description of a coach perfectly fits the spiritual coach. Just change the word team to individual and we have a great place to begin. A spiritual coach is someone who wants the best for those they coach, someone who supports and encourages development, uh, which means that they can be a bit of a bit of a pain at time when they drive us to focus our efforts and be consistent and disciplined and not give up or give less than our best to God. Of course, the most obvious difference between a, a sports coach and a spiritual coach is the field they're prepared and trained to perform well on. The former, uh, the field of play, the latter on a field of battle. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination and your heart to think about spiritual coaching through a particular metaphor today, as warfare. If you ever begin to think it, it is a stretch to use this analogy to paint a picture of what we do with spiritual coaches, Rest assured that what you'll hear is understated and not exaggerated for the sake of the dramatic effect. First, a disclaimer. The language of war and militaristic battle have become offensive to certain portions of our political landscape. Talk about military campaigns and wars and guns and bombs and battle metaphors. Well, they're not exactly politically correct. In our current cultural confusion and conflict over opposing views of what the ideal America should look like, it has become painful to many to think in militaristic terms. If you're in such a camp, I, can't, I apologize up front because, uh, unfortunately, that is what I, I have to do today. Um, before you ask why I would do that, knowing that some people will respond poorly to it, I'm going to ask you to take your objections up with numerous biblical authors and with God himself. In both Testaments, you find significant battle imagery in use to teach spiritual principles. 
The biblical authors make good use of the war imagery and battle and victory over enemy and the struggle to keep fighting till we overcome. In the New Living Translation of the Bible, there are 242 uses of the word battle. The words fight or fought are found 201 times. There are 108 occurrences of war, victory 107 times, defeat or defeated 98 times, and captives 60 times. The number of words it takes to tell uh, the stories that contain these 88 military expressions would be in the terms of tens of thousands. Needless to say, a lot of effort has gone into keeping the military motif from falling into disuse. The prophetic literature of the Bible just bulges with war imagery. The Older Testament is chock full of war-based references. It's intended to illustrate how to do life as God-fearing, God-believing, and God-honoring loyalists. It instructs us how to battle with the enemy while fighting on God's side, with him leading us into battle, with him calling the shots, and in full dependence on the fact that he is the one who wins the battle, not us. Here's one of those references. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Lord has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. What a beautiful picture that is. That particular verse looks forward to Jesus' mission, but by extension to our mission as well. Regardless of which part of the Bible you find this militaristic language in, the span of history covered by those documents describes a time when military campaigns and conquests was the stuff of everyday life. It was normal to use that language in that time. It was normal and natural to use that kind of imagery to teach about everyday life on planet Earth. To remove such language and metaphor from the church's conversation about spiritual life would be both a huge loss and a big mistake. Because we're still at war. Did you catch that? To remove such language and metaphors from the church's conversation about spiritual life would be both a huge loss and a big mistake because we are still at war. Yes, somewhere on this planet a battle is fought between opposing sides every day. Some with physical weapons and some of the invisible ones. But more pressing than any of those fights is the battle between dark and light, truth and deception, good and evil that wages around all around us every minute of the day. And you and I are a part of the struggle, whether we admit it or not, or like it or not. It may be an uncomfortable topic, not to mention you know, the gory imagery, but we avoid this truth at the risk of our eternal defeat. This is why I opened up by saying that I'm not overstating for emphasis or manipulation and fear and exaggeration by using this hyperbole. The battle is real. The stakes are high. The outcome has been decided already. God wins and evil loses. God is victor and Satan and his legions have already lost the war. Even though they still fight individual battles as if they could still come out on top. The Bible tells us that God wins it all at the end. But between now and then, there are thousands of spiritual skirmishes every day. And this is exactly where spiritual coaching comes in. So here's the, the big thought for today. If I were to tell the truth, I'm looking to recruit you to fight with me against established religious oppression and dark spiritual forces of tyranny, treachery, and slavery. I'm inviting you to become a freedom fighter, a rebel that's pledged their life to stand up to the imperial menace. 
to enlist as part of the resistance, those who see the status quo as bondage and want more for themselves than others. In fact, I'm asking you to fight for yourselves and your spouses and your children so that you can put that experience to use in training other raw recruits to fight the good fight with us. No, that is still not manipulative embellishment or emotional dramatization. Try to say that three times fast. <laughs> in his book, Waking the Dead, John Eldridge declares, I love fighting for people's freedom. Erwin McManus says it a bit more aggressively in his book, The Barbarian Way. The invitation of Jesus is a revolutionary call to fight for the hearts of humanity. The barbarian mission is to reconnect humanity to him. Their passion is that each of us might live in intimate communion with the father who died for us. The soul of the barbarian is made alive by the presence of Jesus. We have forgotten that there is a kingdom of darkness stealing the hopes and dreams and souls of a humanity without God. Man, that should get your blood boiling, your pulse going, your attention. Jesus' mission was to fight for the diminished and shrunken hearts of humanity, to restore sick, wounded, disloyal, and distracted hearts back Hearts that the religious leaders of the day had done very little to help and far too much to disappoint, disillusion, mislead, and misinform. Those hearts needed a healer. Someone who cared enough about them to fight for them. That was Jesus' mission. And he fulfilled his mission by showing us just how expansive and radical God's love is. In the most dramatic fashion. He woke hearts up from a long Snow White-like sleep. He brought hearts back to life from a long and very real eternal death. This is the way that Jesus said it, how, how he explained it. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That was in John 10.10. 10. The word full or abundant <clears throat> means overflowing, more than you could ever dream of. Giving life was Jesus' passion. Bringing to die for life to the previously dead, demoralized, and confused was his passion. But to do it. He knew he would have to disrupt, even violently so, the status quo with the religious people of the day. Jesus said that, he would, that, that we should not pretend or imagine that he came just to bring peace to the world. He said that he also came to bring a sword. He knew that the tension between those that believed and followed him and those that didn't and rejected him would show up even in homes, driving a wedge that would cause parent and child to fight with each other. You know, there's a, a story in the Bible that describes how angry Jesus became when he saw religious leaders who misunderstood the mission, misused the church building, and misled the people who came to worship God. He, he took a short whip and, and went through the palace, hollering and flipping tables over, scattering their goods and coins everywhere, and chasing animals out of the temple. And he did it twice. He started a war that the religious leaders ended by killing him, which he then won by returning to life. Even though the Apostle Paul didn't personally know Jesus, it appears that the message got through to Paul loud and clear. He understood that we have to fight against false, worldly ideas and values that would come between us and God. And at least five places, Paul talks about following Jesus by using militaristic language. First, he encouraged a young pastor um, he mentored to fight the Lord's battle well and to endure suffering in the battle as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He tells Christians in general that both our battles and our weapons for fighting them 
are godly, otherworldly, mighty weapons that knock down strongholds and destroy human logic, false arguments, proud obstacles, and captures rebellious thoughts in, in order to make sure people come to know God and obey Him. In fact, God has given those who fight with Him armor that will keep us standing against the devil when He strikes. There are some powerful weapons because our fight is against the dark powers of the evil unseen world. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the victor, having disarmed all those invisible enemies and rubbed their loser faces in it publicly through his death and resurrection. The militaristic language abounds in those five passages, and the last reference, when I talked about him rubbing their faces publicly into it, is an unapologetic nod to the traditional victory parade held by the conquering Roman army when they returned home. As spiritual coaches, we sometimes need to be more like drill sergeants than just spiritual coaches. We're drilling into people's minds the truth about life. You know, not in an angry, sadistic, torturous way, but by speaking the truth in love. We're helping people see the war that wages against them. We, we assist them in turning past defeats around. We help them wring victory and treasure out of tragedy and failure. And we teach them to avoid future defeats by proactively preparing for and choosing victory. This is Jesus' revolutionary call, a call to fight for the hearts of men and women. And whether you know it or accept it or not, you are in a battle, spiritual coach. You are in a battle if you are a Christian, regardless if you are a spiritual coach. Being a spiritual coach just makes you a, more, a higher value target. If you don't know it and don't accept it, you're losing it. We accept the other invisible realities. We feel the breeze and believe in the wind. We, we dropped our cell phone and believe in gravity. We experience love and believe in it also. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. We sense there's more to life. We feel the pull of evil impulses. We fight addictions, the sting when verbally abused. All of these are things that are invisible. Many even dare to believe in the idea of a good God, yet refuse to believe in the idea of an evil, invisible presence that we call Satan. The selective inconsistencies that are astoundingly obvious and intellectually dishonest to ignore sometimes abound. As if we create spiritual truth by what we think, like, and are comfortable with. That's not the truth. You can't just decide to believe in God and not in Satan and make it so because you believe it. This warfare metaphor is not just metaphor, creative license, literary, te literary technique, or emotionalism. In fact, the, the war is so real that it's not a metaphor at all. People don't usually use battle imagery to explain their faith, so there's some metaphorical effect, I suppose. But the invisible evil that we're either at war with or have made peace with is real. All right, so I need to make sure that we're getting this. The invisible evil that we're either at war with or have made peace with is real. And the only question now is, which side are we on? Good against evil, light against dark, truth against deceit, life against death. Jesus said that if we're not working with him, we're working against him. So measure your commitment to relationship with God, to work with him. If you want to know who you've been fighting for lately. And again, as spiritual coaches, that's a conversation we need to have with those that come in to see us. Hey, thanks uh, 
you all for uh, listening. Uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you're listening. Thanks for putting us in your earbuds. If this episode or podcast has been helpful to you, you can help us get the word out by taking the time to like us on whatever streaming app you're using and by sharing the link to our podcast or to a specific episode with someone that you think might benefit from it. Next time on the Two Rivers Spiritual Coaching Podcast, I'm going to offer a more detailed description of what we actually do in a session. Not how, but the heart or spirit behind what we do as spiritual coaches. Thank you. We're honored that you've taken the time to give us a listen as we teach spiritual coaches how to guide Christians into a full and fearless devotion to God. If you'd like to contact Pastor Kara to ask a question, give feedback, or sign up for coaching, you have two options. First, you can visit our coaching website by going to tworivers.church backslash lifecoaching. Be sure to hyphenate life coaching. When there, just click the button in the blue banner. On that page, you'll also find free tools to use in your spiritual coaching practice. Additionally, you will find a link to a blog where you can get a transcript of today's show, filled with Bible references and other content not mentioned on the podcast. Second, you can email Pastor Carrie directly at carrie at tworivers.church. That's carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, at two, T-W-O, rivers.church. If this content was helpful, please jump over to iTunes and SoundCloud. Search for the Spiritual Coaching Podcast and give us a like and share the podcast so that more people like yourself can find us. Again, thank you, and we hope to see you on our next episode of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast.